Welcome to the 1% Mindset, where we know success starts from the shoulders up before it starts from the shoulders down. On this podcast, we talk about necessary principles needed to perform at elite levels in all areas of life. We'll be going through mindset training interviews, but most importantly, we're going to work on you. Let's get started. What's going on, guys? This is Mike from the 1% Mindset, uh, and we're at the 1% Mindset Podcast. For those listening in and not watching, I have my man Gio here. How you doing? Good, sir. I am great, man. Glad to be on here. Sweet. I appreciate it. So, man, I, when, I, when I reached out to you to, to really interview you, um, I've, I've been inspired. Right? You, you've helped me a lot along with my speaking journey. Uh, you've written a book. Uh, as I have as well. So there's a lot of similarities we have. Uh, you just have uh, a, little, a lot more experience than I do, right? So I'm, right. I'm excited to, to learn and really have the audience kind of hear your journey. So I, I want to start with uh, the book that you have. Can you kind of speak about like uh, the, the title and like what inspired you to write uh, this book? Got you. So the title of the book is called The Thirst is Real. Um, and honestly, I wanted to write something that would speak to the young people at the time that I wrote it. So this book came out in 2014. And at that time, the buzzword was thirsty. That was the buzzword, right? So the buzzword was like, oh, you thirsty. Oh my gosh. Like, and I kept on hearing it, but I'm a guy who like, typically when I hear these terms, I like to find a different meaning for the word. And so when someone says thirsty, it's normally used in the context of like relationships. And like the stalkerish, right? Like, oh my, oh my gosh, like, get off me, you mad thirsty. So I looked at that and I started like to think deeper. And I'm like, hold on, okay, stalker, not good. But what I realized, and I'm a big fan, just those for your listeners, for them to understand me a little bit. I'm a big Law and Order fan, a huge Law and Order fan. As a matter of fact, so huge that my brother and I, we bought the video game to law and order. So like, <laughs> so we really love the game. Um, and one of the things you'll realize in law and order, whenever there's a stalker, the stalker always gets its prey. It get arrested, hopefully, right? But they always get their prey. And so I started to think about what would help young people to get their dreams and make it become a reality. I was like, the, re- the reality would be if they st- found some of the principles that stalkers use but apply it not to people, but to their dreams. So stalkers, when you typically look at law and order, you'll see like they had pictures of where the person ate breakfast and pictures of where the person ate lunch and the tendencies and the habits. And they start to pick up on the rhythm so that they always could find it. And so I said, what if we did that with dreams? Dreams don't file restraining orders or call 911. You know what I'm saying? And matter of fact, dreams, if you chase it long enough, if you say, yo, dreams, we play in tag and you it and you're willing to pursue it to that level. And you, you, it, it's inevitable that you will reach it. So I said, man, let me write this book for them. The title was for them. Immediately create the laugh. Every time I go to an audience and I say I'm the author of The Thirst is Real, they're like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, look at that. So it automatically gets them. And then they're like, but what is it about though? And then I tell them like, you know what? Um, the reality is that we all have a reality TV show. And if I popped in your DVD of your life, can I tell what you were chasing? Or is it just all talk? And so if you want to play basketball, where your basketball at? Your basketball ain't got no name. Like you don't even name your ball. Like, <laughs> like when I was thirsty for football in high school, I was catching a football in the dark and hope and trying to see if I could see in the dark the white lines on the ball to pick it up. 
So when it came time to catch a ball with light, I'm like, oh, this is easy. But no one could question my passion for it. And so the whole design, the whole purpose of the book is for them to understand that you are thirsty for something. Um, we all were created with that within us. And then how do we identify what that is? And then how do we go ahead and pursue it um, to make sure that we get it? Wow, no, that's amazing. So what, I, so you wrote the book for the young people. I guess what, what kind of brought you into that, to that space, speaking, motivating uh, for young people? What, what drove you to that? Or when did you realize you had um, a talent, a skill set, the passion for that? Um, so it started off with when I was in high school, I was a big fan of Ray Lewis, who played for the Baltimore Ravens, Hall of Fame football player, two-time Super Bowl champion. Um, and he was known as the master motivator. He was able to get average players to play above their ability because of the way he was able to motivate and inspire them and get them to believe in something bigger than themselves or that the bigger person or the best version of themselves within themselves. So I was like, man, I love that stuff. So I started mirroring that as a player in high school. And then I was like, man, I want to, like, let me see if I could do this even more. So I became a coach um, right out of high school. So I was like a 18-year-old high school football coach, like offensive coordinator, not the guy who held the water for the coach, like the guy who called the plays. <laughs> so, so, and then on one day, crazy thing happened, Mike. Um, one day I went to a JV football game. I was a varsity coach, but I went to a JV football game and the defensive coordinator did not show up for the game. So now I'm sitting here and the coach doesn't know much football, the one who's the head coach. And he's like, Gio, could you help? And I said, absolutely. So now I'm with a bunch of freshmen and I'm like, guys, we are going to beat Lincoln today. Like, and Lincoln's a powerhouse, right? So I said, yo, we're going to beat Lincoln today. And they were like, yo, how are we going to do that? And I just started, I had like this definite purpose. Like I was so sure we were going to win that I didn't allow the thought of it not happening to go down. So I motivated them, I got them, and we ended up losing in overtime six to zero. As a matter of fact, in the fourth quarter with 10 seconds left, we caught an interception, ran it back for a touch, was going to run it back for a touchdown. The kid who caught the interception had no belt. His pants started falling, and he tripped over himself at, like, the five-yard line. So we almost won. We almost won. And I'm like, yo, this motivation stuff actually works. <laughs> um, and so I was like, man, I love doing this. I did the word coaching. And then I joined the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. And I mentored this young boy who was a, a one of five in his family, second grader, but he had some behavioral issues. And he didn't have, like, have his dad in his life and stuff. So I mentored him, and he went from being the kid who pushed the teacher like literally physically push a teacher out of the way because she wouldn't let him go to the bathroom to being a three-time, three, like three-in-a-row student of the month. Mm. And it was just a motivation, just teaching him like, yo, man, you better than this. I know you could do this. Never letting the negativity come in, but just keep speaking positivity over him. So when I did that, I saw the results. I'm like, man, if I could do that for one kid, like what would it look like if I spoke to a whole audience of people? Then I might be able to go ahead and plant that seed the same way. And so I told my mentor at the time who I worked for, yo, I want to be a speaker. And he was running a summer camp. And he said, Jill, if you want to be a speaker, come speak to the camp for free. And I went and I said, okay, no problem. I will do it. And when he um, saw me speak at that camp, literally my mentor had tears in his eyes. I'm like, yo, what's wrong with him? Like, it was that bad? Like, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> but he was like, no, I'm crying because I think I saw, I finally saw what you were really made to be. Like, I saw what God designed you to be in that moment. And when he said that, I never looked back. And I just started to pursue Speaking from that point, I take my mentor's words word as, like, as bond. And when he said that to me, knowing that he knew me really well, I was like, man, but if he saw something, I'm going to go and ride out on what he saw. And three, four years later, um, I'm still doing it. 
Nice, nice. Uh, I mean, and that's big, right? Like, just the impact that you that you can have on other people can can really uh, determine, you know, like how how far you move, right? It, it was, you know, it started with the coaching the football, then you mentored, you know, the second grader, and then you know your mentor gave you an opportunity, and you kind of pursued that. So, I guess my next question is, as a speaker. You know, you have the, you've, you've spoken from obvious or, or mentored from, you know, I'm guessing the elementary level all the way up to, to college and adults. Is there, a, mm-hmm. is there a preferred audience that you have? Ah, uh, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> I, I prefer um, high school and up, but ideally college, uh, right? So, um, and I'll tell you exactly why. And I really want to be transparent so people can really understand the crux of how you find that audience, because I think sometimes people don't realize the hiccups or learn the lessons about it. So here's what happened. I've spoken to elementary school students many times before on the topic of anti-bullying, like just don't be a bully, things of that nature. And one day I went to go speak. Um, it was two occasions that really showed me that elementary was not my lane. Um, <laughs> so I went there. I did a, a speech one time. I went to the school to go and speak. And the school literally forgot that I was coming. So that was sign number one, that this is a, this is not a, a good thing. So I go ahead, I'm like, hey, I'm here. And he's like, um, today's not Wednesday? I'm like, no, today is Tuesday, the date that we agreed upon. Oh, no. Uh, uh, is Wednesday possible? I said, yeah, sure. I'll well, make it work. You know, you're a new speaker. You kind of don't. Flexibility is your best ability in the beginning. Flexibility. So I'm like, yeah. I'll, I'll come tomorrow. I come the next day. Then again, flexibility is tested. I was supposed to speak to the fourth and fifth graders first, and then the little kids, second and third graders after, or something like like that. And they're like, hey, um, we're going to give you the second and third graders first, because that's the ones that's ready for you. I said, uh, <laughs> all right, I guess. Let's do it. So I go ahead. I speak to the second and third graders, and I'm like, yo, I've got to get the energy up. You know, they're probably a little lethargic from lunch. I had them like throwing beach balls or something around and they go from zero to hundred. So like they mad turn like volleyball spiking on people's heads with the ball. I'm like, I'm like this, oh shucks. Like this is the energy is great, but how do I get it back? And then one of the teachers came to said one of the teachers came to me and was like, um, excuse me, um, how long is this going to go on for? I said, it's just an opener. She said, Yeah, I'm gonna need this whole thing to be done in about a few minutes. And I'm sitting here like, I got like another 40 minutes. Like, what you mean in a few minutes? As I start continuing and shifting the audience attention, I see her take students out the back of the room and start lining them up. Let's go, guys. Leave. Leave. I'm sitting here like, I'm like, what is going on here? Like, are are you serious? And before I know it, the whole auditorium is exited out. And she says, thank you. So now I'm like, kind of like, I got a punch in the gut. I'm like, yo, dang, man, that didn't work. (laughs) That wasn't good. And so I said, but I got another chance. Fourth and fifth graders, they got next. I'm going to kill it. The same lady comes back into the room by herself. She says, um, we're done now. I said, no, no, we're done. The, the other group left. So the next one coming. She said, no, we're done for the day. Like, um, we, we, we're not even giving you the fourth and fifth graders. Like, we're fine. Thank you for coming. Uh, it must be a big misunderstanding or, or whatever. And so... I got kicked out basically of the school, like figuratively speaking, like I didn't get a chance to do it. So I'm like, okay, this is a battle of entry experience. And then the very next day I went to Newark in New Jersey. And typically when you go to elementary schools, one of the best questions to ask is what is the universal sign for quiet? Every school has it different. You know, they say, if you hear me 
ones clap, whatever. If you hear me twice, clap, whatever. Like you, so they had the clapping games. They might have symbols. And so this school, they, I guess they like the wolf pack. So they had like, this was the symbol. They're like, if you do this, the kids know, shh, like bring it down, right? Shh. So now I do an exercise, everything's going well. We're probably like, like the 27th minute out of my 35 minutes and they get turned. So I'm like, all right, universal symbol, this, I'm gonna be straight. Bro, I went out, I said, hey guys, hey, hey. Same, same volume. <laughs> One kid right in front of me looked at me, Mike, and goes, Mr. Geo, the symbol's not working for you. <laughs> <laughs> I go, he says, get a teacher. They're not listening to you. It don't work for you. I guess I wasn't home court advantage. So it didn't work. That one kind of ended. But it was a good experience. But it was like, to me, I just left bummed. I'm like, yo, this is not where, this is not where it's at. Like, this is not what I envisioned it being. So then I was like, okay, let me eliminate elementary. Let me focus on older groups. And then I realized with the older groups, like, I just don't have to bring the content to, like, you know, applesauce level. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I, I might have to, I'll put it in the plate. I ain't got to cut it in pieces necessarily so small for you to be able to eat it. Um, and I found that it was, it challenged me as well. Like it made me how to figure out like, how do I creatively say this? And I didn't have to water down the content. So that's the reason why long stories to tell you, like I love the college audience because I'm able to go and find complicated topics and I could break those down versus taking simple topics and having to break them down to applesauce level um essentially so that's why i picked up how i came about that audience nice is, is there a so you spoke about um i guess some of your worst experiences right uh, uh speaking right which we, we all go through like the really the really bad ones and the really good ones do you remember a particular speech that uh probably was one of your favorite or that moved the most people? oh immediately so it's, it's funny because this actually was an elementary school too. Um, but so I wanted to speak at the, I used to, yeah, pretty ironic, man. I spoke at a Yogi Berra museum and um, we're doing an anti-bullying talk and it was going amazing, man. They were just doing fantastic. And then as I got to the end of it, I asked the audience, does anybody have any questions? Now with little kids, that's probably one of the worst questions to ask because for little kids, that's their moment. They're like, oh, now I could, I could show them what I'm made of. Like I could now on the show. So it was kind of risky asking that question. And I prefaced it by saying, um, you have to tell me the question first before I allow you to tell the audience, say it out loud. That way that I could hear when the kid goes and says, well, why do you have a book up your nose? Like I'll hear that question, but like, okay, no, you're not asking that question. Like this is not, you ain't messing up my speech. So the kid came up to me and his name was Armando. And he came up to me and he said, what do you do? Cause I was talking about bullying in the school setting. He said, what do you do when you're being bullied at home? And, I, and, and for me, it was like, I, I, it, it immediately triggered something in my head. If this young man is being bullied at school and then he's being bullied at home, my only question at that moment was then where does he go for safety? Because those are the two places that a, a, a elementary school kid lives, home and school. He can't go anywhere and not be bullied. Bro, immediately when he asked me that question, I literally broke down. I got, this is the first time I ever cried in a speech. Like I cried weeping for this young man and, and, and I, I just lost it. I lost it 
and then I had an opportunity where I asked the students like, hey man, Armando just told me that he's being bullied at home. Where does Armando go if he can't, if he gets bullied at home, where could he go? And I said, he just needs a friend. I said, who wants to be his friend? 100% people raising their hands. Little kids saying, yo, I'll be his friend. I'll be his support. He doesn't have to worry about being bullied here. And it, I cried again. <laughs> like, I started crying again, man. And um, the reason why I say that it was so impactful for me was because afterwards I had a football that the kids was passing around and I gave it to him. And I later found out from the teachers that we knew something was wrong with him, but this is the first time he ever spoke about it. And I was like, you know, what if I didn't come that day? We see in the news so many six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds taking their lives away, right? Like with parents coming, hey, Johnny, come downstairs for lunch, for dinner. And they don't see the kid come downstairs and they'll go upstairs to find their kid hung themselves at eight years old. So now I'm thinking about that situation. I'm like, yo, Armando got a release because I was able to talk. So I'm glad I didn't decide to not do elementary, like stop doing it. But I looked at that moment, I'm like, yo, like what, what if? What would have happened if that situation didn't come about? And there's so many moments just like that where you kind of hear people like hanging on for dear life and they just needed a spark, man. You know how I many times we pray, people pray prayers like, God, if you really think that I'm real, like, I, like I'm somebody or I'm worth a damn, like show me something, like show me something, like let somebody, some experience happen to me that I didn't expect. And I think we don't ever realize that we are the answer to that prayer for that person. And, and when we understand that, that man, we have endless um, opportunity to really be impactful. And again, it's one of the human needs, like we all need to feel significant, um, but we don't ever realize that we can provide the, um, we can be the cause to somebody's effect to feel that. Man, that's, that, that's awesome. That's impactful, that's amazing, man. Um, I know one of the things that got me into speaking and even really knowing that I had the ability to speak was uh, one of the books that I read was The Slight Edge. Um, I love that book. Yeah, so that was one of the books I read and something my mom told me, she said, as she said, you're so much more articulate and you flow so much better when you're actively reading versus when you're not. So she can actually see or hear the difference. Uh, so I want to ask you, it was there for me, the slight, the slight edge was a game changer for me, right? Um, and, you know, I, I've gone on to read a ton of other books and, you know, I'm rereading the slight edge and stuff like that. Has there been any particular book that you can think of that, that really flipped the switch for you? Shucks, man. I'll be doing a disservice if I name just one. There's so, so many of them. Um, but I will say one of the ones that, the one that popped in my head immediately when you asked the question was a book called Go For No. I don't remember the author's name right now. As a matter of fact, let me take that back. There's a book, this, is, this book is the one I really do remember. That was the one I bragged about. It's called Peaks and Valleys by Spencer Johnson. Um, he's the one who wrote Who Moved My Cheese. Okay. Um, so in that book, it talks about, um, we don't know what peaks and valleys are, but the difference is it talked about how do we get to a peak and how do we get to a valley? And how one reacts to each one determines how long they stay there. And so when people achieve a, a certain level of success, when they, what typically happens is, yo, look what I did, man. Woo, yo, your boy, nice. I can't touch me. 
typically when that happens, when you're at your peak, you get satisfied. You get, you, you feel accomplished. And because of it, you don't do the thing that got you to the peak. You start celebrating too early. You do the touchdown dance before you're in the end zone. Like you do the touch, you listen to the touch, be like Kawhi Leonard and, um, and, and, and celebrate when everything is finished versus celebrating it too early. So the piece talks about that, but in the Valley, what happens is typically we think that we're just going to keep going and digging ourselves deeper. Like there's no hope of getting out of this. And so what happens in the Valley is we don't look at it as an opportunity to go and find another version of ourselves. We think that this is just the end all be all, it'll never change. And so this book, what it did for me at the time was it made me embrace failure and look at it for the lesson that looking at it from the perspective of what I could learn to become something else. But it also told me how to maintain success. I'll be honest with you. I haven't, um, I could, I know the difference when I'm straying away from it. And then I know, like, I remember the book and I'm like, oh, shucks, man, that's what happened. You know, oh, you got that five figure contract from a school and then you went and got full versus going and saying, yo, you got one, you got it from one school. What about getting it again? And losing that um, thunder and that fire, I think, is the crazy thing. I think Tom Brady posted a, um, a picture with all his rings, and he posted a caption that said, you want to know which one is my favorite ring? The next one. <laughs> right? Like, like, I got these, right? And I got more championships than any, any NFL quarterback in the history of the game. But my favorite ring is the next one. And there's a violinist who was very famous. And they said, what's your favorite song? He said, I haven't composed it yet that mentality will keep you at your peak more. And I know sometimes people might say, but you work so hard, you should celebrate. And I'm not saying you should not celebrate, but you should also get into a phase where you understand that you should always find a reason to have stuff to celebrate. And the only way to always make sure you have something to celebrate is to always be doing something. Right? So, so, so keep on going. So we're, at the time of recording this, we're like in graduation season. And I always tell people when graduation comes that you should always be graduating. The last, you shouldn't, you shouldn't always have a cap and gown attached to your graduation. Every day you should be graduating. It just means that you got to another level. And we shouldn't get content with like, oh, well, you know, I read 10 books. I'm like, okay, well, what about 11? Or I ran, like this morning, I ran two miles. And my goal was, yo, you, ran, you could run a mile without walking. Can you run two miles without walking? All right, now I graduated. And the only thing that you could do when you complete something is to find something else to start so that you could complete it again. I like that. Now. Speaking, speaking coaches have speaking coaches, mentors have mentors. Um, you know, I, I, I a lot, again, a lot of my success has been through mentors as well. Um, is there any, any speaker or, or, or mentor that, you, that you've had that's, uh, that, that's given you advice that's kind of changed, you know, or, or kind of helped you along the way? Actually, let me, let, me, let me rephrase that question. How important is it for you to have a mentor? It's crucial. It's, um, I, I think, I don't know how I would have made it without it. I, 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 don't, I don't understand how anyone makes, um, and when I say make it, I'm not, I mean make it, not survive it, <laughs> right? Like anyway, you can survive by yourself. Um, you can't thrive by yourself though. I think that it's, it's, the, the, it's the together, um, approach like two minds are better than one kind of thing that really propels you and I feel like the greatest thing about what they say that um, wisdom is learning from somebody else's mistakes with mentors I'm able to leverage 
the mistakes of somebody else has made and download their lessons without having to go through it myself. Like, like that, that's imperative, especially when we're looking at like time is the only resource that is scarce. Like we can't print it. I can't print time. I can't pause it. Can't do none of that stuff. So um, mentoring really helps you in terms of finding direction, which is one of the hardest things. I think we go through life so aimlessly that we end up, and so casual, and Les Brown says this, he says that if you go through life casually, you'll end up a casualty. And, and, and I'm like, oh, shucks, dang it, right? And I think mentoring, what it does, is I'm not saying that you should do whatever your mentor is doing. What I am saying, though, is you need to find a road to get on versus staying on the sidelines. And I feel like mentoring kind of helps give you enough courage. A lot of times when I started doing stuff, it wasn't because I was confident, I just borrowed the confidence of my mentor. And, some, and, and that's what happens. A lot of people are like, yo, I ain't got nothing. And I'm like, yo, go, go use the stuff, go, go find something. It don't even gotta be something you possess. I might just rent that person's confidence until mine kick in. And I feel like mentoring just gives you an opportunity to go and um, not have to go alone. It's, uh, when you fail by yourself, it's very hard to get back up. Like you don't, it's hard. But when you fall and someone's hand is extended to pick you up, you might not have the fear of falling so much. And I think the, what we don't realize is the rate of success is tied to the rate of failure. And every time we keep avoiding failure, we decrease or forfeit our success. And so I feel like mentoring is kind of like that safety net that allows us to not feel fearful to walk that tight rope in the first place. Who's your favorite speaker? Les Brown. Les Brown, why? Because he has a story that I can relate to. I think, um, let, let me tell you why. I, I, I listen to Les Brown's story and I hear a guy who went from being doubted, who didn't know what his worth was, to figuring it out, making mistakes when he figured it out, took those mistakes, learned something from them, and then went ahead and built something that has never been done before. You're talking about Les Brown spoke at the Georgia Dome. Like, this is an NFL stadium. <laughs> like, the way he spoke at. But you talk about a guy who was labeled educally retarded or something like that in, in, um, in junior high school. And for him to become who he is um, really just is a testament to, who he, um, to what can be done when someone has that belief in themselves. And again, I think I always grab hold to people's stories. That's, how, that's what hooks me. Um, I'm not really fascinated with um, what you got at the end of the road if I don't know what was the road. Once I know the road, like I know Les Brown, Les Brown had a company, but he slept in his office and had to lie to people and said, I've been working here all night. Versus when it, the truth was, I didn't have nowhere else to stay. Like, 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 to me, that's crazy. Or when he got his radio job and he was able to go and they told him we ain't got no jobs and he just kept on coming and saying, hey, are you hiring? And they're like, no, we said no to you yesterday. Why you came back again? And he goes, well, I didn't know if you would fire somebody over the last 24 hours. So I came back. And he just kept on being persistent. Almost reminds me of the story in the Bible about the persistent widow. Like, just keep on coming, keep on coming. It's the same thing when I tell people, like, on Saturday mornings when somebody comes in and knocks on my door, that person would just keep on knocking. I'd open. And I, you know, I'd open. If you just keep on knocking, I'm like, your dad, whatever you really got, you got really something to say. You know what I'm saying? That's why you keep knocking on the door. So, um, Les Brown, I, honestly, I, I just, uh, his story is something that is relatable to me. Not that I've slept on the floor of my building office or anything of that nature, but it's just, I, I could resonated with his, um, his rise. 
I, um, in the story of it. Cause I've always felt that I wasn't good enough or I could have been labeled that who you think you are. I'm a third grader who barely, who was speaking with such a Haitian accent so much so that I would, the last thing I thought I would ever do would be public speaking. You know, I didn't think that I would ever do something like that. So um, I could relate to his story. And then I love the fact that I'm attracted to the greatest. And in my opinion, Les Brown could be the Michael Jordan of motivational speaking, um, in my opinion. And if you look at a lot of people who've been successful, they'll attach like Jim Rohn and Earl Nightingale and Napoleon Hill. But if you look at the more recent people who are speaking, they all go back to Les Brown, like Les Brown, whether it's Eric Thomas or all these different people, Les Brown, Les Brown, Les Brown. Les Brown. And so he's because he's one of the best that ever done it. He's one of the best that ever done it, man. Seven figures speaking and all this stuff like that. I'm like, for public speaking? Like, are you serious? Commanding $50,000 for a one hour keynote? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's, you get that. And so I love that. But then I also think about what did he have to become to get it? And I'm fascinated by that. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, Les Brown is definitely, uh, definitely powerhouse. Who's your top? I'm, I'm curious. Who's your top person? Um, yes, yeah, so I definitely, you know, I mean, Les Brown is great. Um, I've, I first dabbled into it. I was listening to Jim Rohn and I think the person, the more recent that, that I really relate to their story is uh, Inky Johnson. Inky Johnson's amazing. I'm proud of just to hear him speak. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So I think, uh, Inky Johnson is definitely, uh, definitely currently, I should say, uh, definitely in probably my top, top two or three right now. Just yeah. Uh, and like you said, stories are amazing, right? I, I think understanding that there's there's so much that people go through to get to where they are, and a lot of people don't really don't realize it. And you know, like you said before, because we're in in a space of social media, it's so much it's so easy to to appreciate or, or see these successes, but not really sure what what they've gone through to get to it. So, you know, one of the things about reading and, and listening to these speakers is. I get an opportunity when I'm reading an autobiography to, it's almost like interviewing them, you know, or having a behind the scenes without really being there. So when I'm reading, you know, for example, when I read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, founder of Nike, I had a chance yeah. to really, it's almost like behind the scenes access to him. It's like I know him personally, right? Because right. to figure that out. So, you know, like I said, just really understand the stories and understand that everybody goes through something, right? Every, people dwell so much on, you know, their personal situation, not knowing that the person next door is probably going through the same thing, if not worse. So I, I always look at, you know, what's next or what, what else can I, can I do to, to get out of whatever situation uh, that I'm in? And, and that's not discrediting, you know, mental health or not saying someone can't be depressed or like, I get that, right? But when you dwell in sorrow and you fill your mind with that, that's what you're going to get regardless, right? So I always try to look at, you know, what's next and understanding that everyone's everyone's had a story and, and people have gone through a lot worse than i have so how can i push forward and get through that so um i love it i love it man so yeah so his story is probably you know and just just the way he commands room the way he speaks um you know i i, I thoroughly thoroughly uh enjoy uh inky johnson definitely one of you know my top guys uh right now 100 percent I love it. My friend just sent me a text message with Inky Johnson's video just uh, about an hour ago. <laughs> uh, he he said it's funny. I actually had a chance to see him speak as well when uh, ET came to New York for the Ignite the Dream tour. Uh, Inky yeah, I was there. I, I was there. I went to that. Oh, you went to that? Oh, yeah. So, so I was there as well for that, and you know, Inky Johnson was one of the speakers. 
Yep. That as well. So, and because I, I studied him so much, like I knew so much of the story, but you know, it's, it's so impactful, like regardless if you've heard it or not, just, just being there experiencing it and watching lives transform, you know, because of that is, uh, you know, it's truly, it's truly amazing, man. So. No, nah, I love it. I think what you said earlier was good too. Like, I think people should just definitely read a lot of autobiographies. My favorite, um, as of right now, is Kevin Hart's book. I don't know if you ever read it anymore, yeah. but I've, I've I've read that book three times and listened to it twice. Oh wow! Um, and highlighted it like it was a textbook. Wow! Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's, that's definitely a solid. That's that's probably I think that was one of the better books that I read last year. Um, because again, you know, like you said, I mean, everybody sees the plight of Kevin Hart and what he's doing, but no one knew he went from Philly to New York every weekend, not getting paid, going to the comedy. So like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's truly, that was, that was a, a very, very solid book as well. Nah, for sure, man. New York Times bestseller. I think he's coming out with another one too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It, it, and it goes back to what I was saying. Like the only way to stay on the peak is to keep going. So his mentality has been, you know, if I had one New York Times bestseller book, why can't I have two of them? Like, you know, and, and I think that whole thing, he did an interview with Joe Rogan about like, why not? Because people always ask, like, what do you think? Who do you think you are, Mike? Like, you doing podcasts? Like, a second season? Oh, you think you're somebody? You could do two seasons now? Like, you know, is that that whole attitude, um, you know, that I think a lot of times we get caught up. Like, yo, like, why are you trying, why are you doing so much? And it's like, because I can't. Like, like, like you know, and, and if I can't, I'll find out, but I won't um, throw in the towel before getting into the ring. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's, um, that's also a reason why I follow him. Um, a big fan of his, but I'm more big of. I'm not about the. He's funny, but I'm really a fan because of his business acumen. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, and his work ethic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, I I definitely appreciate. It. You know, one I think one thing I do I do want to mention is I think it's so important. Um, there's a guy by the name of Kerwin Ray. He's out of Australia. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's no. He's, a, he's focused now. He's shifted his focus now. He has a son on, like, parenting. But uh, one thing I learned from him, uh, and he's, again, a phenomenal speaker, um, but just really staying around the fire, right? So we all, we, all, we all hang in herds. We hang in packs, right, because we're mammals. And the thing, the thing with packs, they're, they're, they're good for two things, right? And when you're hanging in a pack, if the pack, if you're, for example, if you're a wolf or whatever, and you're hanging – with a certain group. If you're better than them, if you decide to stay in the pack, what they're going to do is they're gonna do a good job of reeling you back into the pack so you can stay in alignment to their goals and values and, and their dreams, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. and if you're hanging with someone better than you are, you stay around people who are just ambitious or better, what they'll do is they'll pull you up to make sure that you get into their herd or their pack. So it's important to hang around the right herd of people and and really connecting with people who are like-minded and who are better than you so you can, you're able to elevate and, and be in a certain space. I was talking to a friend and, and she said, you know, yeah, you don't, you know, I like my early mid twenties, I used to hang out, I used to party, I used to do all these things. And, you know, now it's just, and not saying I can't have fun or I don't hang out, but you know, going yeah. to parties and do it like, it's just, it's not, it's not the same, right? I'd rather be, you know, masterminding or, or going to a conference or hanging with people who are like me, who we can bounce ideas off of and help one another, right? You know, one of the things that we did when we went and we grabbed lunch, you told me, hey, this is what you should do when you're going to speak, right? So I had the professor, she wrote me a recommendation letter and, you know, all the, 
all the things that um or the advice that you gave me yeah helpful which i wouldn't have known or had if i didn't do that so just the importance of really staying around you know like-minded people and people you know within the herd that you want to that you want to prowl in is, is extremely extremely important um and that, that's been definitely huge for me at least over the last you know six months to a year definitely yeah no i think if you speak to it i think um you know they always say like you are the sum of the five people you hang around um and i think you, you know you gotta i feel like it's it, it's healthy to have both groups um in the first place i think you don't really know until you could teach it and i need to always have something to teach so i need to learn so i always need to be in the middle of those two things right so i was like i gotta go into the place where i feel out of my comfort zone um so i can grow and then for me to lock in that growth for me to really know it i gotta share it with somebody else i feel like a social responsibility to have somebody else. So they always say like, you lift as you climb, right? Like, so you don't just go up and don't tell anybody else what happens. And I think that, especially in our community, um, if you talk about like African-Americans, minorities, and this is something I've been hitting home on, and I did a TEDx talk about it, uh, the whole idea of the power of masterminds. I think there's a scarcity mindset that's been written in our culture where we always feel as though there's always one, right? So there's always only one person could be the greatest. So we have the argument, is it LeBron or Michael Jordan? Because it, it, only one of them could be the greatest. And so what happens is we start playing the game of opinions instead of facts. So now all we do is we just go and cast ballots and vote. So here's my opinion of who's the greatest. And versus finding out like, how do we go about not, that conversation is entertaining, but could be very crippling as well. Cause it keeps selling the idea that there's only one. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and then what happens is, if there's only one, so now it goes like, okay, well, hey, Mike, listen, there's only one speaking engagement. I need the money too, so I can't give it to you because there's only one. Versus me thinking there's multiple opportunities. And so just, I, I, I don't need to hoard all of them. I can go ahead and share those opportunities. And, not, and, and now my mentality is that there's an abundance versus there's a scarcity, right? And I was talking to a gentleman who runs this organization called That Suits You. Um, who does amazing work um, get providing suits for young men and helping them with career um, interviews and things of that nature, social skills. And we were talking the other day because he was out of school and we were both at the same school. We both got contracts with the same school. So it goes to show you like there isn't just one opportunity. We both are providing inspiration, motivation, career readiness, things of that nature, but we're in the same school getting paid at the same time. And as I was sharing, him with, I was sharing with him some wisdom that I've gotten from my mentors, and he was just blown away. He was like, yo, people don't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, no one tells people what really works. Like, why would you do that? Like, we're always in competition. And there was something that I never realized until I read the Kevin Hart book. He said that we should be in competition, we should be in competition with each other, not against one another. Like, we should be like, yo, oh, snap, Mike, you spoke at BMCC? Yo, I'm next, bro. And I should be like, yo, Mike, y'all spoke in the University of UPenn, man. You should go do that next, man. You got Pennsylvania? You ever spoke to Pennsylvania? Yo, yo, you should go and get that. That should be like we're competing with each other, not like, yo, you know what, Mike? I got you. I got Pennsylvania, but you ain't got it, so I got one up on you. Like, what does that accomplish? Mm -hmm. It goes back to ego. And it's like, yo, but if we just eliminate that part, we all could win. 
Like, there's, no, there's such a thing as a win-win situation. Like, everything is not an athletic sport. Like, it's not like um, basketball where, like, either the Warriors win or the Raptors win. Like, they, like life is – success is not um, measured that way. And so if we can get into that idea where you're talking about the herd and the whole idea of getting around people, sharing what we know, um, we'll be able to climb a lot higher um, than trying to do it all by ourselves. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. You know, you want to go, what is it? You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far. You, you go with a, with a group. You go with others. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%, man. So I, I, I want to wrap it. Do you have any, what's, what's next on the radar? What's next though? Going to University of U. I'm going to the University of Pennsylvania um, on the 20th. I might be doing a graduation speech at Keystone Park, the baseball stadium in Coney Island for a high school graduation. I'm debating about that, still trying to finalize those details. Um, but honestly, like, I honestly feel like I'm super excited, Mike. And the reason why I'm super excited is because I really feel like now I got 2020 vision. Like I now see clearly what is, how this game works. And I think you don't, you don't get that early. You, know, you got to go kind of through your bumps, and, your bumps and bruises and figure out how the game goes. And then once you learn how to play the game, you don't, you don't get beat anymore. Like I just started, get, I just got a PS4 two weeks ago. And I've been playing on Hall of Fame mode for NBA 2K. I've been losing every game by 65 points. I ain't gonna lie. Every game by 65 points. That's about right. That's... <laughs> I'm like, yo, computer don't miss no shot. Like, I'm like, yo, like everything is an and one. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, yo, but if I just keep, as I'm understanding the game more, I'm, I'm losing by 50 now. Right, and it's, I'm chipping away. I'm still losing by a lot, but not by as much. And I realized, like, now in the speaking game, like, I see it now. Like, I understand it. I know me better. I'm like, Yo, oh, I know what to talk about. Oh, I know who I am. I know what I stand for, and I know what I stand against, and I know what I'm not going to do. Um, and I think that's an exciting part. And I, and, I, and I know you in a different year or stage than I am. But at the same time, that's the, that's the fun part. The fun part is you actually going to see better. You're go, it, it, it's gonna, it, the difference is people go through life, but they're not paying attention. They just go through it. Yeah, it's just time passes. But if you like really start becoming intentional and you like look around and you're like, oh, snap, like, oh, that's, what, that's how they book? Oh, that's, that's the opportunities that they're looking for? Oh, this is the way I could partner with you? As I start understanding it, I start understanding the language. You start playing around. Like, I'm married for about, I'm about to be five years married. I know. Thank you, man. It's, 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 I think some, one of my pastors say that's like 10 Hollywood marriages because they don't, have, they don't stay married for long. So, but I look at it and I'm like, yo, like, the thing about my wife that I thought I knew in year one, year four and five, I'm not making the same mistakes. That makes it fun. I'm like, oh, snap. Like, I just learned something about you that I didn't know before. And now when I apply it, it just makes things so much easier. And I'm realizing the same thing here. So I'm really excited um, for the 2019, 2020 year because I understand the industry and I understand myself. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what that, what, what, what that actually looks like when I apply the two things. Absolutely, absolutely. No, that's, uh, that's, that's solid. That's solid, man. Well, I definitely... First and foremost, I definitely appreciate it. Where can the people find you? That's the first and foremost. Um, yeah, it's um at Geo Dereese on all platforms. So it's G E O D E R I C E. Um my website is geospeaks.com. That's with an S. Uh the book The Thirst is Real is available for Kindle, 
um, Amazon and all the different online publishers, which is cool. Um, Google me on Google me on YouTube. You'll see the TEDx talk, which a lot of people have been saying just came out. People have been saying a lot of amazing things about it so far. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little hesitant to post it. I ain't gonna lie. Like I, you know, it's crazy. In the moment when I did it, the crowd was eating it. People in the building was like, "Yo!" As I sat with it, I'm like, "Was it really that good?" Or I just like pull a fast one on them. Like, like did I did I just like hypnotize you? But I know like it could have been better, right? And so I became hesitant about posting it. Like I had the video for like a month. I just posted it, <laughs> like, like you know. And what ends up happening, and the reason why I'm sharing this is because I feel like this is what happens typically when somebody achieves success. When you have like that fear of success, people are like, Yo, how do you fear something you desire? Well, you fear it because you start deleting, you start diminishing how good it was. And you start to say, you start to feel like an imposter. Like people don't really, if people don't really think this is good, or did I fool the audience? They're gonna think it's whack. Then I had like in the last three seconds, so I'm telling you guys, go see this, even if just to see the last three seconds. So at the end of the video, Mike, I must just, I didn't drink enough water or something. So my mouth had like this little thing on the side for the last three seconds. The whole 19 minutes was solid. Minus the opening joke that didn't get it no last. But um, the thing over here on the side, I was like, yo, dang, man, that gonna mess up the whole speech. So now I'm like, I can't even delete it or edit it because it just don't make the ending look good. So I'm like, you know, that's why the video ain't gonna be good because that little side thing on the side of my mouth. So I'm like, I'm not posting it. And then I was talking to a friend of mine who's in my mastermind group. And she was like, yo, you gotta post that video. Cause I, I, I got a video online with me in my outfit and it looked like I got rolls, like I gained mad weight and I posted it anyway. So you need to go and post your little side joint regardless. So I said, I bet, 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 I'm gonna post it. And to see the benefits of the people who've been private messaging me and saying like, yo man, like that's really good. And nobody, nobody spotted the side, the, the thing on the side yet. Like nobody said anything yet, um, <laughs> you, you know, but I think it goes back to like, we just keep thinking because we see so many people hate on other people. So we just expect that that's going to happen to us. And so we delete the fact that we always listen to it. And you'll see this even as you speak more and you, you probably have already seen this. Whenever you're in an audience, let's say break the audience into ratios of 10. If you break it into ratios of 10, you'll find that six people will love what you say. One person might, three people might be kind of like in the middle. Then you have that one person that no matter what you said was not going to give you no love. And what typically happens is I dismiss the six people that loved it. The three people that was on the fence that I should have really been trying to win over, I forgot them too. I'm looking at that one person who's on their cell phone the whole time I'm talking. So now I said break it into a ratio of 10. So now if you're in a, rate, in a room with 500 people and you see, you know, 50 people out of 500 on their phones, and you're like, you're only the, five, the 50 people, man, they didn't think it was dope. So that was whack. And you dismiss 450 people. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to encourage people, man, like don't, don't, don't let the potential um, downfall or the hiccups or what you think the critique is going to be stop you from being great. Anyone who's great is going to receive criticism because most people, when they see greatness, wonder why they didn't why they haven't accomplished their form of it yet. Um, and it's not because they're, they're hating, it's just that they're probably more indifferent or a little bit bitter on the way they went about their journey. And the only way to alleviate that pain is to go and give it to you. Um, so be encouraged, man. Take more risks, fail more. Um, 
listen to this podcast more. I love the idea of the whole one percent mind, the one percent mindset. Um, slide edges, definitely. Uh, I, I remember reading that, but I love the fact that you've coined um this phrase because I honestly, truly believe that if we do apply it, man, it's so dangerous. Like it, it's so crazy what it could mean, right? Like so, one percent is like if I get a sixty-four on a test and I get one percent higher, I pass. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if I tell Mike, yo, Mike, there's a pot of gold at 300 Ocean Avenue and Mike go to 299 Ocean Avenue, he ain't finding the pot of gold. That's just one number off. So I think we're so close. And I love the fact that the 1% mindset really reminds us that we really are um, that close to it. But that also the way to get to our greatest self is to just go at it 1% at a time. So what I did there, man, I get the plug, man. Listen to Mike's podcast, man. I love it. I'm, a, I'm glad to be a part of it, man. And I just continue to support you, man. And, Ethan, what you doing? No, I definitely appreciate you, my brother. Definitely. Uh, one thing I'll touch on really quick is uh, what you said. Uh, when, you, when you're speaking about your podcast, and I mean, not your podcast, your TED Talk and not, not posting it. So we're, we're the biggest critiques on ourselves. And it, it, it's crazy because even my, my speech at BMCC, the professor saw a video that I created well over a year ago. And I didn't post it because I thought it was whack. I was like, Chippo, this is really bad. And she still and absolutely loved it, and, you know. And and because it's us, we always find the little things to nitpick at, and we don't realize how impactful and powerful everything that was there, you know, or everything that we said. You know, we take that little small thing that we that we think isn't significant and make it into this big thing that it's not supposed to be. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's you know what you said definitely definitely hit home. I definitely appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, in for a treat so listeners man definitely go follow geogeospeaks.com um and all his social media platforms uh with that being said man i appreciate you thank you so much no doubt man for being on here and uh fans appreciate you guys take care no doubt as usual thank you for listening